Let's find common ground. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host Florian Glatz and today I'm talking to Dari Ulfsen, the founder of Darkblog. Welcome to Finding Common Ground, your gateway to the digital revolution in community building, cooperative governance and collective ownership. Join us as we explore the future of humankind in the 21st century with thought-provoking conversations featuring innovators, pioneers, and visionaries from around the globe. Let's embark on this journey together, bridging divides and reimagining our collective future. Get ready to be inspired, informed, and ignited. Let's find common ground. Welcome, Dari. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Cool. Dari, uh, I know we have a lot to talk about. I want to talk extensively about what you're building with Darkblock because it's just such a fascinating application in the Web3 space. But before we dive into this, uh, I want to ask you, how did you get into Web3? Um, let me see. You know, I think... Uh... Some podcast, maybe 2016 about Bitcoin piqued my interest. And then I told, we, I was in Berlin and, and I told my, I was running a, a small designing agency with my friends. I was like, hey, you know, we should, we're doing that UX, UI product designer. Like, hey, this, there must be something here. This is, this is so new. Everybody talks about it being so clunky. You know, we must be able to kind of create a niche and do something. And, uh. And we didn't, of course, end up doing that. We just uh, ended up editing. I bought a little, and then I bought some more, and then, ooh, I was like, oh, riding the whole kind of uh, roller coaster up and down. And then it wasn't until kind of um, one of our good friends, I will, I will kind of uh, won't mention his name, um, but he pointed me towards the Arweave space. Uh, that was maybe two or three years ago, and he was like, hey, look, check this out. It's like, what do you think about it? And it was an interesting, I really such a cool project, um, you know, this permanent web, you know, and you pay once and it's stored forever. And, and then, you know, uh, that same friend, he said like, Hey, there's a hackathon starting tomorrow. You should join and, and, uh, and like just meet some people, you know, see what's going on. And so I kind of dragged my friend Ari, who we're always kind of brainstorming some ideas, startup ideas. Um, and we just jumped in and that's kind of where we met our co-founders. Um, we kind of exchanged ideas and then we started, decided to work on this project. And that was the first project that I kind of worked on in the web free space. And that turned into dark Rock. you know, two years later, I'm still at it. So that was kind of, you know, how I got to know blockchain and kind of dove in and obviously, you know. Along the way, there was a lot of DJing, and there was like DeFi summer, and, and that whole roller coaster. Like, wallets, the and my wallet got hacked, and, like embarrassed him, like embarrassing ways. Like we all probably have like those those stories. So um, along the way, kind of learned some of those lessons, and then the same kind of with NFTs, and yeah. So now with Darklock in building infrastructure for NFTs, like I really feel like. NFTs have this bad rap at the moment, you know, everybody started to kind of, I feel like we're doing these calls with partners and then people say NFTs less and less and less is more digital collectibles, which I think is probably a good idea in this kind of climate. Um, uh, seems to be a strategy that kind of works, but that, that I think that remains to be seen. But uh, yeah, anyway, NFTs, I think they actually will onboard lots of people 
unknowingly into Web3. And then it's our job to kind of keep them there and give them the kind of deliver value. So yeah, that was kind of maybe the long or short of that word, that answer, version of the answer. Do you already know Common Ground? Common Ground is a new kind of social network that is owned by its users and that brings the benefits of Web3 to communities. Be part of it now. You find the link in the description. I think it's a great answer because uh, you gave some really interesting hints, which is that actually you bring a designer's perspective to the space. Um, so maybe actually, because I don't think I asked you explicitly, can you introduce yourself in terms of what are you actually on a professional basis? You seem to have a design background. Maybe just tell our listeners a little bit, you know, where you come from and why, how you look at this whole technology. So. My background's in creative. Um, I started in photography and uh, I studied that for, for three years and but never kind of did that professionally because I just, it, as soon as you, yeah, my thing is kind of like, uh, my, my goal is to ultimately make enough money so that I can just go back to doing art. Um, but it's hard to, it's so hard to be an artist and commercialize it. It's, it's, uh, it's such a, it's such a, it's such a fine kind of balancing act to be able to do and I just wasn't capable of doing it and so I moved into design uh, and that's kind of kind of I guess you could say kind of combining com commercial and art and uh, creative and, and so um been doing product design for over a decade ran a studio in Berlin like I said worked on a bunch of content apps and uh and some kind of big data infographic kind of use consumer facing stuff always thinking about kind of trying to minimize complexity and and yeah make just make just make interacting with a digital product be enjoyable or 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 kind of minimizing friction in that sense and so web3 is such an interesting space to be working in because it's there's so much friction everywhere and it's so interesting when you enter a space and just what things are called creates friction just kind of what things are named you know it's called a wallet and not you know a bank account or because you know when you're connecting with your wallet now through these extensions you're basically and you have to sign something like how why am i signing with my bank account like there's full of money and valuables this seems so crazy and so just like how things are named you know it's a it's a it's an address, not a bank account number or something like that, you know? So, um, these things just straight away, like it makes it so hard to just kind of what, what are the concepts, basically the base concepts, what are these things uh, that are named differently? And then, oh, so it's kind of, this thing is kind of like that thing, you know, in, in web two or IRL or, or something like that. And so you start to kind of have these, create these mental models. It's all about creating mental models. So to kind of to shortcut. So they can actually, oh, okay, now kind of the, the fear and the kind of the fear of the unknown goes away and you start to be more, you're, you're kind of, you, you're willing to take a little bit more risk because you, um, you feel like you have more control, you're more understanding what's going on. And so, um, yeah, I'm kind of like, uh, I almost forgot what the question was, but, um, yeah, I mean, designers kind of perspective on this whole space and coming, coming from creative and coming from, um, being a designer, I think there is at, at the moment, this, there are a few things going on. I feel like in crypto at the moment, we've got obviously all the tokens, basically the money side. And then you've got NFTs where you can basically tokenize anything. 
And then we have this new thing of kind of identity, which I get, you know, common ground is kind of touching that space. And so how do you use blockchain to kind of do these DK proofs and prove it, you prove something's true without kind of showing everything. And, and so there's so much, it's like, it, it could be so useful. It could be so, so useful. There's so many things that can, it can make, it can make a life so much simpler. Just like the other day I was, I'm, I'm moving. I'm moving at the end of the month. I'm leaving this, uh, this glorious home office. I'm in here and going closer to the beach. And I was transferring the money, like the down payment. And, and I was going to sign, I'm not signing the papers. Right. And this is just some random PDF that somebody sent me some dude I met in a room in the apartment. Like, I don't know. Listen, I didn't validate anything. I was like, just kind of like, Ooh, what's my, what is, does my gut tell me about this person? Are they trustworthy? Like, can I see that you LinkedIn or something? Just, I'm going to send you money in, in half an hour. Like, how do, how can I trust that? I was like, I need a ZK proof here that this person can authenticate. They are who they are. And, um, straight away there. So I do. Yeah. So for, yeah. So kind of like these, I don't know. Just think about these, uh, these use, yeah, these use cases and, and when things become useful. Because we can get really kind of bogged down in, in the tech and, oh, you can do this to never have and all these hypotheticals. But then, you know, how do you actually make it useful? So, yeah, that was kind of, did I answer the question? It's such a cool, yeah, you totally did. And uh, there's just so much to explore here. Uh, let me just follow this up with one question, which is that um, uh, Web3 today is in a state where, I mean, it's almost like there was already this rebranding from crypto to Web3 to make it a little bit conceptually more accessible to give people this idea of, okay, it's called Web3 now, so it's happening in my browser. It's sort of like the internet that I know. I feel that is already a form of simplification from, hey, it uses cryptography, which nobody understands what it is. But then just like you said, there is so much friction today. It's so clunky. Uh, why do I have to sign in with my bank account to use a Web3 application that feels super risky uh, because I use the exact same extension for transferring money uh, that I also use for logging in. So am I actually sending funds when I log in? You know, how do I manage this risk as a user? So um, we've seen it with uh, AI recently, which until yeah, very recently has been also this abstract technology that nobody understands. Some people, you know, talking about it maybe in podcasts and saying this is going to be huge. But if you weren't really into it in the you know, into the dark art of building models, uh, which you know they've been doing at Google and other places, you just had nothing to do with AI in a, in a meaningful sense. Now there is ChatGPT, and suddenly everybody uses it. What is the missing piece for crypto? and Web3 to have a similar breakthrough moment like our colleagues in the AI field had recently? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I think one of the reasons ChatGPT, and it's interesting because we, like you and me and uh, kind of our our community, we're obviously kind of neck deep in tech, and, and but at most people actually don't know what ChatGPT is or what it does, and and then you kind of go on a, on a on a call with them and you screen share and like look here like ah oh, you see them kind of getting mind blown in real time it's always so funny uh, but I think that the, the the genius of it is just how simple it is it's just there's one input field 
you write and the and the text kind of gets written in front of you, and it's it's you don't need to understand what's going on behind under the hood. It's just magical, and and super easy. And so Mid Journey is interesting in the way that kind of they kind of bootstrapped uh, Discord and can have everything in there. So they just they just use an interface that is already familiar, and there's lots of people there. So um, that was kind of an interesting strategy, I thought. Um, but for us, I mean, we are actually kind of thinking about that question a lot right now. So it's, we kind of rearranged a few items on our roadmap this year to actually address. Because after the East Denver, we kind of came back and we'd had some talks with a few uh, smart people and we kind of just looked at each other and we're like, we need to stop being purists and actually just be comfortable with being web 2.5 in some places. Like when you're building a decentralized protocol, like uh, you, for it to have value, it needs to fulfill certain requirements and check some boxes but then to onboard users it's different like some of them will care about that others won't and so is that balancing act i was talking about earlier is that we need to be kind of we have this thing and we saw it some someone used that we were like oh let's 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 use that as a phrase kind of adequately decentralized or decentralized enough and then being progressive in getting more and more and being transparent with that kind of trait for those who care about it and and then for those who don't yet um they 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 kind of they can at least kind of look back and see like oh okay like they're here like you see the kind of the history and how they kind of were working towards this thing this is like this admirable whatever um but then in the short term now short to midterm we need to become more web 2.5 and so we are now just looking at ways of like also kind of the, the, the problem with the wallet. It's such a blocker signing with your bank account. So we um, are very kind of, we're trying to find ways to delegate, basically kind of control from, of a, give delegation to another entity wallet or to a, de to a decentralized ID. Um, that would be ideal. Like just like you sign in with your, your Google account, or your Facebook account, or sign in with Apple on the these ass. I want to be able to do something similar, if not exactly that. So maybe just delegate then control. If I trust Google right now, I trust Apple. Um, why wouldn't I then delegate to them potentially signing, you know, authority? So leverage these entities that are out there and are trusted, and albeit centralized, and. Um, but then, you know, we to, as a stepping stone to then get to, okay, then can I then at some point move that then delegation to to an, a decentralized ID, something that I use, uh, can be my ID on the internet, but isn't like, can't empty my bank account. It's interesting. Uh, uh, I want to uh, jump on what you said with becoming more Web 2.5 than puristic Web 3. Uh, I think many people have this insight right now. Um, at Common Ground, we use this phrase terminology a lot as well. Um, because, I mean, Common Ground itself is not a purely decentralized app, right? It's nothing for purists. 
um, our application stack very much resembles that of something like Discord, which we originally, you know, set out to to replace. Um, and the sort of decentralized elements or the Web3 elements are really just add-ons um, and they become frictionlessly usable because we start on a Web2 foundation, right? If you start on a Web3 foundation, you will always struggle with, well, how do I bring my users now to this point where they can start using this app? And so I appreciate your sort of perspective as a designer sort of validating also that this is not the place to get, you know, the next billion users uh, into this system. We need to go where they are and they are firmly in the web too. And they, as you said, don't have a problem trusting in big intermediaries like Google, Apple, and so on, right? They don't fight this same fight as we do, it seems. And so it's really about bringing the benefits of web three to web two users and web 2.5 is a nice, nice way to say this. And funny enough now we had, I mean, we've been building common ground pretty much in the open for about a year now. And many people had a chance to check it out, see how it works, what is Web3, what is Web2. And just in the last two months, we've seen a bunch of, let's say, competitors. We don't really look at them at them this way, but um, other companies also building Web3 social apps, um, we've seen them launch. Um, and there are big founders behind them. Even the guy uh, who founded Tinder, for example, now is launching a Web3 social network. And just seeing how they package the narrative, how they bring this idea of NFTs, collectibles, of wallets, Web3 identities, of ownership, right? User-owned platforms uh, and so on uh, into into the mainstream is really interesting. And we we definitely can learn a lot from them now. Just seeing actually, you know, how does someone with zero ideological buy-in into this whole space, actually take the tools that have been built and deliver them to an audience that is ready for it, right, in principle. So I'm I'm endlessly fascinated by this sort of evolution. And I think even rebranding crypto to Web3 sort of had this element of saying, okay, you know, Web3 is a little bit like crypto, but without a lot of the dogmatism around you know what what it has to be in order to be good enough right and i think we've also seen it with something like farcaster which is this sort of decentralized twitter they call themselves sufficiently decentralized right so they they, they use that terminology so i think many people are coming from different directions to exactly the point that you just described um let's talk about the evolution of the web um, just for a moment, because uh, we're pretty much uh, the same age. I don't know exactly how old you are, but I feel we're both, you know, firmly in our 30s, inching towards our 40s. So we've had, um, you know, some glimpses of the early, early web. Uh, I remember I got online when I was like, you know, 12 years old. So there was like, you know, around the 2000s, area facebook was not a thing back then um i you know i was on irc and those kinds of things 
Um, I remember publishing a website back then was a major undertaking. I did enjoy it. I, I built my first website in Microsoft Word. Funny enough, you could like, export this HTML. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah. Um, and so there's this saga in the Web3 space that says uh, Web1 was read-only. Like, you couldn't really publish yourself. Web2 was read and write. And now Web3 is read, write, and own. How is sort of your perspective on on the internet and how it changed over the years and maybe sort of highlighting, you know, the deficiencies of it? Why are we even in a place where we want to bring a Web3 to the world? What's the problem in the first place? How did you see the web evolve and what motivates you to to say, okay, I, I actually want to help move from two to three? Well, first of all, Thank you for assuming that I'm in my thirties. I'm actually 43. So I'm like, I'm super Dude, really? warm inside now. Like you made me feel so yeah. good. But, yeah. uh, so that means that when you were 12 years old on IRC, I was like maybe 16 or something. So, um, I remember being in high school and we were like, everybody's in the computer room and like, Hey, like we're in this room. And, uh, so yeah, I remember those days. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, I feel like. Like personally, like I, I consider myself a technologist. I'm not that smart. I don't always dig really deep into the tech. Um, I don't really know how to write code. Um, but I do like using it and, and I do like thinking about what this could be used for and like, ah, oh, like, cause I'm, I'm like by nature, I'm a like glass half full type of person. And so I always see the potential. I always see what can be. Um, and so I kind of, I think I approach that makes me kind of by naturally be always kind of attracted to the new shiny thing. Cause I like this new and there's like possibilities, new things you can do with it and I'll play around with it. And, you know, I, I, I won't go so far as kind of like reverse engineering it or kind of doing a Elon Musk on it or whatever, but I do like to play with it and, and, uh, and so I'll be, like, if there's a new social platform, a new app, like I'm downloading it, I'm, I'm, I'm in there, like using it. Um, like I, at 2000, what was it? I don't know, 2007 or eight, I told my mom, like, yeah, you have to check out Facebook, you know? And, uh, and I think, you know, and a few years later, she was in there and I was like, oh, you have to get on Facebook. No, stop <laughs> sick. Uh, and then I was like, it was on to the next thing. And, uh. And so I think like the, the danger of kind of my kind of blase attitude to towards, I think technology is that I will, and I think it's kind of same with just people. I will always, you know, see the best in it and I'll overlook maybe the treacherous parts or the potential for it to kind of go wrong. And I think like that's kind of with social media that was happened to me, you know, I think to a lot of us, you just like, this is going to solve so many problems. And he's like, oh, this is actually like fuels just hate and vitriol. And people have these, we all have these kind of, you kind of snap, you know, you're, you're frustrated. And then there's such an easy outlet to write something in anger and not see the, res the human response of the person on the other end. And so it has these unforeseen consequences. And there's definitely going to be something like that with Web3 as well, just like with any kind of technology, any kind of tool, you know, you can hammer a nail, you can hit someone in the head uh, with it. So, you know, the evolution of the internet, I think, is just 
I thought probably just like similar to any kind of revolutionary tech that gets kind of born, except like it, this kind of technology is just, and every year it kind of gets faster and faster and faster. Now with the AI, it's just, poof. it's like, it, it seems like it's been around for months, but it's on maybe chat GPT is only been live, I don't know, maybe a few weeks, maybe. So, um, it seems like it's going faster and faster and faster. And so, um, we, how, what that has an effect has on us. I'm not sure. Uh, the internet is just, it's almost like, I think at some point people won't even have a name for it. Like, you know what I mean? It's like in a few years, you wouldn't even talk about the internet. You just, it's a similar kind of, you won't, I don't know, maybe feel like that might be happening with NFTs. It's like, you're, you're saying this, the, the word, because you need to describe it to distinguish it from something else. And so we use the word internet as a way to talk about communications that happen over broadband or, or like I'm on the phone. Mm -hmm. No, I'm just like, it will be so integrated into our lives. We will just be talking to a person. You won't be on the internet. You'll, I'll be talking to you in a hologram or something in like with something like glasses and you know, my, my girlfriend's going to be in another room and I'm just talking to you, talking to her, I'm not on the internet with you and IRL with her. So that might be web four is just when the internet just kind of disappears into the background and yeah so it feels like it's just becoming more and more and more integrated into everything from these clunky machines having to be in a computer room you know irc into being in your pocket and then you know seamless so yeah i mean that's kind of i think i see and then that is just going to change us as humans we are going to change we're just we are changing we're already changing we're already like our physiology and hormones being constantly in the state of kind of fight and flight because you can get this thing, everything so fast. Well, I, you remember like when we didn't have cell phones, just like this, it, I, I seem to remember there was more of a kind of anxiety was in, in these longer cycles. Now it's like you have an anxiety attack every five minutes almost. So <laughs> something like that. Well put. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see it. Um, and I love your Web4 reference. Um, I'm in touch with a bunch of people who think a lot about what Web4 could be, and it could really be a description of what they are saying. So I think you're absolutely uh, right here in your gut feeling. And I also like that you mentioned this sort of uh, tendency for people um, to not really look at the downsides of a technological revolution, just think about all the problems it will solve. And then the new problems it creates, you only learn them when you're firmly invested in this new paradigm and you see it actually unfold across a planet of, of billions of people, right? I think uh, nobody, nobody thought that Facebook would be such a toxic sort of thing uh, when it started out. I remember also joining 2007. Um, and I, I also thought this is genius and, um, you know, now I, I don't use it at all anymore, but obviously we use its offsprings. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, um, I, I don't want to sound like I'm a kind of a, I think it's good that social media exists. I think that the internet is amazing. I actually think there's nothing, we couldn't have done anything different. We are just as creatures, we're drawn to the light and we just, just have to deal with it and move on and try and build the next solution, next solution, next solution, just keep yeah. innovating ourselves out of it. 100%. I mean, uh, in building common ground, I sometimes think we're building, you know, Facebook 2.0 or, or 
2.0 almost, right? Because it's uh, really, I think Facebook developed a lot of patterns that actually make sense, you know, like this ability to connect with people, to digitize relationships, this idea of groups, right? So the ability to find other people that have similar interests, but then in need for a business model and in need for driving up revenues, all this toxicity came along. They realized, okay, we can harvest people's data and so on. And so what we're really doing differently at Common Ground is really changing the business model side of it. We'd never want to be in a place where we need to harvest people's data, right? So how actually, so it's not the application that's fundamentally wrong. It's the business model behind it and this misalignment of interest between the people running the platform and the people using the platform. And I think this is also an element to Web3. It's just how is it monetized and how... Um, how is it operated, right? You mentioned NFTs um, actually again saying as well, today we call it NFT because we need to differentiate it from just a JPEG, you know, just a, some digital art on the internet. Well, if it's an NFT, it means it is actually more than that. It sort of has this digital twin um, as a token on a blockchain. There is some provenance connected to it. There is some sort of, authorship connected with it there is value connected with it this is an image you can sell on on a marketplace and all these all these things and in the future we may not say nft anymore any picture we encounter probably is an nft right um that that's a really powerful idea i i, I have this uh, question in my mind that i want to ask you which is that what initially, you know, fascinated you about NFTs? Was it your artist's art seeing how, well, I can see other artists that make money suddenly with digital art, that that is something I want to explore? Or what was the avenue that led you to sort of realize that NFTs are something you want to invest a major amount of your life and energy into? How did that happen? Um. I think, I mean, trying to think back kind of what it was, um, I just remember this one use case, which um, I think it's been executed. I uh, don't know how old scale, but I just remember my, I, uh, my brother was asking me about like, where is the, like, where is your, like the document that proves that I own my apartment back in Iceland? And where are the documents that where I can see, like, where, where can I see exactly the loan that I took like 20 years ago? Like, how can I have overview? Where's it logged? You know, where does stuff, where's it stored? And, and I was like wondering about this, a house being tokenized on chain and then being able to see everything, just go on the, the, the block explorer. And I could just see here it is hit. This is when it was minted. Here's the provenance. Here are all the documents attached to it on chain. I can see all the metadata. Um, I can see all the transactions. I can see the previous owners. It's like a log and it's there, it's public, it's accessible. And I was just like, anything that's owned by anyone that needs to be tradable just should be like this. Uh, it doesn't have to be not even just digital stuff, just anything. If I'm going to sell something and just be able to do that. If it, yeah, on chain, it just feels like also for someone like me who could just like I'll be losing my keys and there's like having it on chain so like, oh fuck it I know I'll never lose it or, or like that's at least the blockchain dream right it's, it should be permanent so just feel like the blockchain is such a good solution for you know 
keep keeping data um, reliable and ownership clear. And so it's a bit scary. You can understand like it can't you can't like undo the things and stuff like that. So, um, but you know that's what the ecosystem is about. It's about creating these kind of uh, tools around it to make it more e- kind of easier to use and so got social recovery with wallets now and stuff like that. So it's like all these new ideas that kind of come to solve those problems. But I just remember this thing about the kind of the house and that that and then the deed being on chain and and me personally being able to find my own stuff. So um, NFTs is just, you know, whatever it's tokenizing, whether it's a JPEG or a house, I feel like it's just so useful. Um, and so, I mean, maybe don't, maybe everything shouldn't be a token, but uh, it's tokenized, but it's really useful. If you do, you can do so many things with it um, that you couldn't before. And so I think like that will be the thing that we, like with NFTs at least, how do you onboard? Like that's the question that the minute, like the, the billion dollar question that we're all trying to answer. How do we onboard people in, you know, crossing the chasm? It needs to be 10x better. It need, yeah, you need to be, it's not enough to just make the experience on par with Web2, like we talked about earlier. It, they need to be able to, we need to be able to do things in, in this space with these new tools that kind of Web3 under the hood that you can't do in Web2. That's how you compete against YouTube and Facebook and Discord is you can do things that you can't do in Web2, but it's the experience is on par and you can do this new amazing thing. So that's yeah. what kind of drew, made me blew my mind with NFTs. It's just how, how useful it can be. Yeah. Um, it's interesting what you mentioned that it's actually a, a real estate sort of use case that made you initially fascinated about the utility of this. Um, I think this is gonna, I think we're getting there, but it's gonna take a little while, uh, actually to manifest just because, you know, notaries are still involved, at least in many jurisdictions in these things. And they don't want to lose that business. Obviously the blockchain is a way better notary and it's uh, for free essentially, but, uh, it's at least in Germany, it's quite a fight to, uh, oh yeah, I think these, Germans yeah, are yeah. going to be, they're going to be last to adopt <laughs> to this, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, they like that. I mean, this this value in off, in off chain for sure. You know, um, yeah. I think the future. I mean, we just on. A, I was talking to someone yesterday like, on a call, a potential one of our partners, and they were saying like the future isn't just permissionless. It's going to be permissionless and permissioned, and so you know, there's going to be this mix and the kind of figuring out where yeah. it's appropriate. This kind of be the, the kind of the trick kind of moving forward. No, 100%. I remember uh, talking about a use case with a bunch of people, which was about um, inheritance, right? And how do you actually do inheritance in the future with digital assets? And you can find a purely decentralized solution, but you will always have the problem of proof of death, right? How do you prove that someone is actually dead such that, you know, the protocol should trigger a transfer of ownership of these assets? That, that are part of the inheritance. And it's the one of the insights that we had in brainstorming this is that, well, you can go fully decentralized and then you need essentially something like a waiting period or a challenge period for a death proof, right? It could be that I someone fakes a death proof, but then you have to wait for a year. And within this year, someone, you know, the proclaimed dead person could actually reappear or, you know, some other kind of counterproof could be fabricated. 
But then if you have a notary involved, the notary could have the sort of override function that says, okay, I as a notary, a public notary that, you know, has sworn an oath on the constitution and that has, you know, all this reputation and business going on, I as a notary now vouch for the fact that this person is actually dead. And then you can short circuit the one year waiting period to a two week period because there is some actual official trust coming into the game and uh, you could sort of accelerate the process. So I do fully agree with you that I think we could have a situation or we will have a situation of sort of mixed models. Now, since you're sort of an aspiring digital artist, uh, although you can't really live that dream at the moment since you're since you're a founder, but uh, I just wanted to get your opinion on this royalties discussion that's currently happening in the NFT space. I've, I don't know if you follow it at all, but um, a lot oh, yeah. of people are very angry because um, this new marketplace called Blur is sort of turning NFT trading into something that looks very financialized, very much like trading any other commodity or asset. And they are circumventing all these royalty elements of NFTs in order to make it just maximum interesting for sort of day traders. Um, do you think that NFTs are fundamentally changing? Do you think they will get appeal again? Or is this, you know, where is this all going? And, and what what aspects do royalties play in actually making NFTs attractive in the first place to artists and so on? Because I remember there was a big selling point, right, for NFTs originally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a, that's a lot to unpack in that question, to be honest. I mean, yeah, it was a big sell, royalties, obviously, you know. And to be honest, like when I learned that they were actually enforceable, like they weren't being enforced on chain, it was actually optional by the marketplaces. I was kind of surprised. I just I didn't do my due diligence there. So, um, so yeah, we learned, I learned that like a, a few years ago. And, and it's kind of seeing this unfold. It's like, yeah, of course, it's going to happen in a bear market. And, and you just need to use any tool you have to fight for those not that many users in in but three to be honest so these are companies kind of fighting for their lives and yeah the promise that the creators had the basically the royalties that they were promised to kind of be taken away and so um which i think is like i i i'm like i'm agnostic to what these the strategies of these marketplaces leverage to to deliver value to their users you know um i think the nfts are obviously kind of like we talked about this way more than just this or that just jpegs it's way more than that you know uh, or it can be way more than that um they, it will be more than that um i think anything probably that will be tradable will be tokenized because it's just so useful um, maybe added with that kind of added node tree angle, maybe some kind of Oracle kind of angle on it. But I think what's happening now with blur, the kind of royalty wars is, is just interesting. I know it's for those who, for those creators that, that it was kind of their lighthood part of this book, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, I do think that this is what the royalties part is one of those features, which will onboard people into the space. So. I th I think it was a great feature 
of NFTs to to begin with. It onboarded, I think, a lot. Got a lot of creators interested in it, and kind of all this promise of uh, of of a new kind of revenue stream. I think it's fairer. You know, your your art gets sold in the future. Why shouldn't you get royalties of that? It's, it makes perfect sense. Um, so, at least at Dark Block, uh, our company, we are actually now focusing on uh, tools to enforce royalty payments. Um, I mean, we can, get, we, can, we can get into that if you want to, but, um, so we, I want to, man. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So basically but before make, we dive yeah. into this yeah. one second, I want you actually to properly explain dark block, just high level. And then let's dive into how you're actually solving this royalties. problem. I was suspecting that you're actually working on this. So, uh, happy, happy to hear that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, Dublock, um, at Dublock, we are building Web3 content infrastructure. We are building a decentralized protocol for unlockable content. And basically, kind of a nutshell, kind of the, the user flow is creators can add more content to an NFT on mint or even after it's minted. So, you at the, right now, you have this public IP, the JPEG, you know, the, the monkey picture which everyone can see and anyone can right-click save. We looked at that and said, like, I thought we can do way more here. You know, find it, you know, no knock on NFTs and kind of how they were being leveraged and their kind of kind of basic kind of version of how they were born into the world of the internet. But we were like thinking, hey, you have this thing, it's on-chain, it's proof of ownership, what if you could attach more stuff to it? So if you hold this NFT, you can actually see and access more content than just this one JPEG. Um, we could just take any type of content and attach it to the NFT. And so that's what the protocol does. It's, uh, and I was talking about Arweave in the beginning. We've been that Arweave hackathon, we built kind of an NFT of this concept and got some money and, uh, they uh, then invested in, in us when we did our kind of pre-seed round to build out um, Dark Block, which basically enables creators to add content. It gets stored on Arweave. It is encrypted by the protocol, military-grade encryption. So we've kind of become this encryption layer on top of Arweave. Because Arweave, anybody can scrape Arweave and, and download the files and look at them. Um, it's almost like this kind of public Dropbox, decentralized Dropbox. We encrypt the assets, so it doesn't matter if you download it, you can't do anything with it. It's just like a rock. So um, those assets are mutably tied to the NFT so that only the owner can then access them. So you sign with your wallet with your bank account. And uh, if that wallet's in that, if the NFT is in that wallet, you can then access these assets and they can be any type of asset. We don't care. The protocol doesn't care what, what kind of digital media it is. So it can be a video file, it can be an image, it can be uh, 3D models, it can be audio files. And so what this basically does is we're trying to solve content in Web3. So you have all these content creators who are in Web2. Some of them are maybe being censored by platforms. Some of them maybe see the promise of the, the communities in Web3 so they can actually, they're the long tail of the, of the content creators who don't manage to make enough money on Spotify or YouTube from the streams. But you know they, they, could, they have these 1,000 true fans which they're just so many, if they could just minimize the middleman, they could get more money. And so they see the promise of Web3, but 
content doesn't really work that well in Web3 yet. We need more tools. And so that is kind of what we're building. We are building the content infrastructure uh, for Web3 uh, so that, you know, we can leverage NFTs to do much more. So, you know, when you, we and that's what we have built right now. And then the next step is the monetization that we build into the protocol. So monetization that, that's enforced by the protocol, no skipping past that, like the royalties on the marketplace. And so creators can, can actually not just have to set an NFT to give access to the content, they can rent access. So we've created this concept, uh, which is our V1 of monetization, which we call access NFTs. And so these are NFTs that basically become like a clone of the original content NFT that has all the assets attached to it. So you've got the public ID, the, maybe the poster of the movie and the movie is encrypted, attached to the NFT. Only the owner of the NFT can access it, but now we can actually clone it, create this, this rentable NFT. So with NFT renting, it's always been the NFT moves to another wallet for a specific amount of title, then it goes back. We want to just keep the NFT in the, in the wallet we just and we just create this access NFT model. So that NFT will stay in your wallet like a receipt, but the time given for that time given, you will have access to the actual content. And so that will create a new revenue stream and something that um, uh, you can't do at the moment with NFTs. You can do it with token gating, but we see token gating, basically token gating for those who are not familiar with it, is you have an NFT and then you show up somewhere like on Discord or, or like in, on a website and there's a connect wallet button. And then if you have this NFT, you can go to this walled garden. But we see that as just being, there's a web, you just switch out the key, like the pass, the web two password for an NFT. It's, it's not really web three. We, we need the content, the wall garden to be decentralized and web three. So that's what we're solving. This, this true, we call it true ownership of the asset. It's not because if you, if, if you stop paying for your Kindle account, all the eBooks that you thought you owned are gone. If you, if that, if the person who's hosting that website that's being token gated stops paying for their, their, their web hosting service, that thing that you thought that NFT was giving you ownership over is gone. But with ours, the content is attached to the NFT and is portable and is permanent. And so um, you kind of you can kind of hear like the the Web three purism kind of coming through there in my in my, in my talk. And so that's how we that's what we're now trying to kind of okay let's now build this Web three pure content infrastructure and then make it accessible to all the the content creators who are used to Web two uh, smooth UX. So the the I mean I love the 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 problem that you're solving and I could say so many things about this. Uh, I think we had this chat one night where I was sort of telling you a little bit about my sort of uh, touch points with exactly the problem you're solving. But um, long story short, I think one issue that the purist here has when trying to, you know, bring this to the mass market is that the benefits of this solution will only become apparent you know, in potentially decades when exactly what you described has happened, that the uh, resource to which traditional NFTs are pointing to are offline, right? Mm -hmm. And actually the JPEGs that I bought 
just disappeared and I probably lost my backups of it and all I have now is a random token on the blockchain and I can't even tell you anymore which one was ape number one and which one was ape number two. Um, so I feel that the the value proposition in the present day um, to what you're building is probably more in this monetization ability to actually say, okay, we have a protocol that can enforce royalties. Traditional NFTs, the ERC721 standard, just has no conception of royalties in it, right? And this is why marketplaces also don't have to follow it, right? It's just sort of an off-chain or sort of additional element to the NFT that's not core to it. And so a marketplace can just be like, well, today I'm not going to enforce royalties and tomorrow I do. And what seems to be the case is that you're developing a much more integrated approach where if you want to sell that NFT, the royalties have to be paid. Maybe you can talk about this a little bit, how you're actually solving this or how, or how your thoughts are on this. Right. So the, basically the enforcement of royalties as we know them now on marketplaces. So for us to be able to solve that, our value proposition it is this additional content that you can add to NFTs, basically making yeah. NFT upgradable, right? And so you're adding some utility to the NFT. And so that utility and though is sometimes, you know, like I said, mentioned, it's, it's delivered to the holders of the NFTs through various means, maybe airdrops, some, some, some secret links, you go and you get something. We are saying, Hey, if you're going to do that, attach it to the NFT, because then it has permanence. And then if the NFT exchanges hands, that original person will no longer have access to that thing. If they mm -hmm. should have access to a thing, then you can just check the box that makes the asset downloadable when you create the, the, the this dark book asset. Um, so you can still you can still keep that if you but if you want the the basically the NFT to whoever buys it can get that stuff that you've been delivered that utility that you've been delivering to that NFT or that holder through all these different means. What you can just use something like dark book and it's attached to it, and, and so. If that, if that utility that has been added to the NFT is inherent to its value, being like the one of the reasons why you buy the NFT, what we can, what the Docker protocol can enforce is you would not have access to these things unless you pay the royalty on the when you buy the NFT. Understood. So, okay. And so, mm. and so the royalty enforcement is woven into. Well, what utility are you adding to this NFT? Make that then only be usable if you pay the royalty. So that's kind of how we're trying to leverage our solution to help creators with this royalty problem. I love that. You know, you can be creative with this, right? This could be, for example, a personalized sort of letter by the artist. So you still have the public JPEG and you have no way to enforce a royalty on the sale of the public JPEG. But uh, there could be this, you know, encrypted personalized letter to the first buyer with a handwritten signature of the artist, sort of digitalized and encrypted. I don't know. There are many ways how you can say, okay, this NFT just isn't as valuable. Um 
without this encrypted content um, uh, as it is with it, right? So I think there is a lot of ways to do this. Obviously, you mentioned films. So, of course, the film is probably what's interesting uh, in that case. So that's a given that this works in this case. But even for monkey pictures, I could imagine that, you know, if there is something really personal from the artist, then and it's contained inside in addition to the picture that could already make the difference to have people actually pay the royalty for sure absolutely i mean there are lots of there are quite a few projects that have leveraged stop art or tech to deliver comics to their holders and so yeah. you know a, a, a one amazing project omega runner you know uh, some of the people on that team are the creators of hunger games and so kind of you know, these are like smart, talented people, and they're creating this amazing world. And they did this initial uh, drop, PFP uh, drop, uh, with these characters from this world. And then they are adding the comic, you know, uh, over time, they're adding the chats of the comic and dropping it via Dark Block to the, 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 the NFT. And so you connect with your wallet with the NFT on their, on their site, you go into the vault, and there you can read the comic. And so that if you buy it into that world, you are there because it's like, uh, it's, it, it is amazing. Like it's so, it's like, it's going to be the next Star Wars, I think, or something like that. So um, if you're just buying it to trade on, speculate and flip it, you know, I'm not against that at all. Like kind of whatever's going on blur on um, the blur marketplace and, and similar, you know, I think that's fine. And if you don't want to pay that royalty because you're, you're doing something different, you know, you have a different strategy. I don't really have anything against that per se, but there are so many people who will be engaging with projects because of the content, because of what you get for being part of that community. And and they probably would willingly pay the royalty because they want to keep that thing alive. Um, but, you know, we can actually enforce it, you know, for those of us who would be cheeky and try and, you know, get away with not doing it. So, um, so yeah, so there are projects out there already kind of delivering this type of content. Um, and I see more and more projects pop up, you know, Clanosaurus is one of them. Clanosaurus is a big project on Solana right now. And they're just, they're so smart. They're, they, they're, they are content creators first and create the projects around it. So you, 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 I think if, if you are, if you buy it just to flip it, it's just so engaging as a project and what they're doing, you're going to want to have access to that content. So. You're going to pay that royalty, but be happy, even if you're just trip trading and flipping. So um, I think it's down to the projects to kind of deliver value, deliver this utility, and then we can hopefully solve this this problem. It's ingenious, I think. It's a really ingenious solution, uh, uh, in particular also for the royalty problem, beyond all the other things uh, that you're also solving with this. Um, what are sort of your most, what are sort of the use cases that excite you the most at the moment? Obviously, people will come up with things you've never thought about, and they will probably be amazing too. That's the beauty of building infrastructure. But from what you can see right now, what excites you the most? Well, we we just I'm kind of fresh now. We last now at Doppler this month March is Music Month, so we're doing a lot of uh, kind of exploration in that space and 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 doing spaces with artists and and that. But in February we had literary about. And at the end of literary month uh, in February, we actually realized Darkblog is being used to power over 30% of ebook platforms in Web3. And we kind of just kind of stumbled into that. 
Uh, and so ebooks is just such a good use case because it's just so easy to understand. You know, you wouldn't have the book. Of course, the book's not going to be just open because, you know, no one's going to buy the NFT if they can just read the just the book. You, you you don't buy it. I mean, some of, sometimes I remember the time when I would put like these smart books out for display, you know, if, if a girl was coming over that I want to impress. So I would buy the book just for the cover. But most of the time you buy the book because you want to read it. And so, you know, uh, so it's, nerdy. Just, it's so nerdy, it's so lame. I know it's embarrassing. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's cool. <laughs> but, you know, so I think ebooks is such a good, uh, it's so easy to understand. And also for people like, uh, it's trying to ex explain kind of the value of unlockable content. Um, it's like, yeah, okay. The cover is there. You, the value is what's inside it. Uh, you buy an NFT, you get access to it, you know. Now with Docker, you can do rentable stuff. So you've got the library model, you know, you just, you pay for a month's access to the book. You don't necessarily need to buy it. So whereas like, and then you own it and they can sell it again on the market, on the, on the market or maybe you buy a limited edition one as a rare, has a rare cover or has some cool images inside it different than the other one that's kind of less rare. So ebooks is very interesting for us. Um, it's also very new in, in web three. It has like a lot of, I think it has a lot of kind of headroom. It can, can grow a lot there's a lot of traction writers are coming in they don't like traditional publishing there's so much weirdness there there's so much delay there's so the, the publisher publishers can just block ideas they can just say like no the main character needs to be a girl or needs to be a boy because of reason xyz and it's like all these weird things where like in web3 they are just directly in communication with the community and so this feedback will be so fast and so books i think are super exciting because the creators are craving it. The communities are super engaged. It's all about the content. It's all about the, the utility. Uh, it's all about world building. So, and, and you can see how those projects, you know, books becoming computer games, becoming movies is something that happens again and again and again. And it's going to be like that in Web3 as well. And you start where uh with the narrative with the story and then the worlds get built so i'm excited for that because i can see that just becoming so much else um obviously music is is interesting as well and movies you know amazing um it's just though yeah that those are all so they're so huge those those markets those spaces uh so there's so many different ways to to kind of uh i guess you know they've got hollywood down to the indie filmmakers so this, that it's that is that is very exciting to me as well. Film three, um, basically selling NFTs to fund movies. I think that's an amazing tool. I think we're going to see so much cool uh, content and films and movies be made now in the next few years, just because the community is driving it. You kind of people get what they want, not just because not what they're told what they should want. So um, I'm so excited for that. Interesting. Uh, just to remark on your uh, literary example, um, a counter, a sort of a counterpoint to it uh, that came to my mind when you were explaining it is that um, a few years ago I talked to someone who's who's pretty OG also in the crypto space. His name is uh, Simon Villeroubier. He's uh, a South African um, guy who I think lives in New York now, and he's been very early in Ethereum. Um, he's been with consensus really early and um, he's been doing a lot of interesting things in the space and I think he's currently building 
um, sort of an agency or company in New York based on the hypothesis, actually, that, in fact, books, publications, and so on, they actually should be free and freely accessible because he says, well, as an artist, you actually, you have sort of two conflicting interests. On the one hand, you want your art to be accessible as widely as possible because that's why you make it, right? You want people to be able to enjoy your art. At the same time, you want to make a living off of it, right? So you somehow need a business model. And so the model that he develops is one where um, the content that he's publishing is completely free, but then he creates these sort of characters like art that refers to things happening in his stories and this art then is collectibles so nfts and so he wants to find a business model where the content is free but then the people who really love the story they can buy the digital collectibles corresponding to the story um sort of like you know i don't know a disney movie that is completely free but you can then buy the star wars action figure if you really found the movie so compelling. Yeah. So I feel these are two models that are not contrary to one another. I think they are two different models in a sense, ultimately to find a sustainable way of living for, for creators. But uh, just wanted to share as a sort of counterpoint to, uh, to the way you're doing it. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like our mission statement is to give creators more control over how their content is distributed and monetized. And we're not, we don't want to dictate how, you know, the business models work in, in, in with, with web three. Um, we just want to give creators more flexibility. I think entities, it bring that straight off the bat. You have this new way to charge for something. And so we just want to give creators new ways to, to kind of use that more tools to leverage basically. And so if they want to make everything or some of it at free uh you know all us that's that's cool um if they find some way for dark rock and multiple content to be useful for them in their in their kind of their setup and creating multiple revenue streams um like now in music month we've learned that most musicians have like six seven eight income streams so um just to kind of you know be able to keep your, their head up above water so or to, yeah so, yeah. Ultimately, I'm I, I'm uh, I'm, I'm happy for for creators want to want to want to make the book open and then charge for something else. You know, that's that's fine. We we just want to help help them do it. Yeah, I think it makes sense that it's probably a sort of a mixed model, um, where you have maybe a super popular song which you make free or a popular book, but then you have also these monetizable side elements to it and then you have these other maybe less successful books but those are maybe then hidden in a dark block yeah uh, for people to then you know unlock uh for for paying royalties something like this yeah we um yeah we talk mm -hmm. we talk about the box set a lot of the times especially like in the context of, of music and and you know movies you used to buy this box set you know the collect for the super fans yeah i think unlockables yeah. are like perfect for that that's basically exactly what they are you know you want to pay extra for that extra thing. And so, you know, that's what you can do. You can do it. I think Starbucks, they kind of became the masters of like creating these endless tiers of options to pay for. So, you know, uh, uh, 
we are puppet. I think we could be part of that tax that, you know, enabling like I'm tearing. I just think you're going to be a really, really important infrastructure going forward. So, um, really, really glad you're building this. It solves a very fundamental problem in the content and creator space, I believe. Um, we're also, uh, good above, uh, beyond the hour. Um, but I have a last question for you also, um, that relates to something you also mentioned before, which is censorship. Um, obviously when you're building sort of a content sharing protocol of the kind that you do, you will always have, you know, people using it also for Ill illegitimate things. So, you know, can I use this to distribute, um, child abuse, sexual material, or can I use it to, um, sell, I don't know, uh, pirated Hollywood movies, uh, and these kinds of things. Is this something that you believe is fundamentally part of this, you know, freedom of web three, that it's in censorship resistant infrastructure, and it's not the problem of the infrastructure that people do these kinds of things, or are you actively sort of thinking about this and building means to actually do censor because there are just some things you don't want to support. How do you, you know, where do you fall on this line? It's obviously a very difficult uh, question to answer, but since web three is so deeply entangled with the question of censorship, I just wanted to understand how you look at this problem. Oof. I was expecting a softball at the end, but okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Not uh, in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, now it's a valid. It's I think it's a valid question. It's obviously a valid question. It's uh, it's a, it's a very good question. Um, so the way we think about it is, I mean, I think it's just, it's a cliche. You know, it's, these are tools, and they could be used for good. They could be used for bad. Sensitive resistance, I think, is something we want. I think we need protection from authority authoritarianism i think we need as people um but with that you know comes the flip side of it being used to to do things which are less than ideal um so we are very mindful of that and we are you know ultimately the protocol will be tokenized at some point and governance of it will be moved to the to a DAO, to the community, the network that we run the nodes and 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 find and use the creators themselves, those who hold, use it, derive value from it, and therefore can control it. And so obviously the DAO moving forward will be have the responsibility of governing how what should be built to be able to kind of fight the the the, the dark side of of the internet and censorship resistant tools um i think you know with the relate latest twitter files i think we see how hard this is and when humans are involved making decisions they can get super messy super fast i think there's some that i think there's something good about the kind of black and white of ones and zeros and, and code, but then we, I think AI could be something that could be used to kind of pre-scan what's being uploaded and, 
and use kind of image recognition tools to identify if there's something like horrific yeah. being uploaded, um, something like that, that then is in accordance with the users of the protocol and the value that it's delivering. So I think those things always need to be kind of weighed uh, because ultimately, you know, if if this protocol is delivering more harm than value, people I think probably can ultimately maybe stop using it and uh, and so will kind of abandon it. And it's not to 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 power a decentralized network is is it's you need a lot of nodes every running it and time will tell with that. But at least right now when we're building it, we're very aware of it. We are thinking about this a lot and 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 yeah we're buried so we have kind of next kind of steps in in the the next quarter we will be opening up this more kind of discussion towards the kind of the formation of the DAO what does it mean what would be the first topics what are the main things that we keep in mind so we'd be kind of opening that up the discussion to the community um later in the year and so I think this is something that will be a very kind of interesting topic. How do we kind of tackle this as, as a community so that this useful tool can be um, used in the right way? Because I think ultimately we need censorship resistance as a kind of fundamental human right so that, you know, we can't just get blacklisted and, and shut down. I think all views are valid, need to be heard, and then... There's a curation layer on top that filters out the noise, the irrelevance. And I think that is something that maybe we didn't have in Web 2 that I think Web 3 will bring, which is this, we have in Web 2, we have this new thing called the creator economy because Web 1 was read, then you have write, so you can have creator economy. With ownership, what, what we unlock is the curator economy. So when you own something, you're part of the upside of the creator. You layer on top. There's a filter that happens there, um, and so I think a lot of that that will that will be something that will play. I think with the protocols and what gets created, um, and so how things get curated and and ultimately. But yeah, so but but it's a hard question. You can hear that like the the answer isn't easy and don't have it. You quite answered it so well though. Wow. No, I'm, I, I, I like it because I think you gave sort of the solution, which is that, well, um, it is a problem. At the same time, censorship resistance is a very desirable property. The middle ground probably is to say, okay, uh, we need a governance layer, right? We need a curation layer that is that has governance inside, and the governance should, unlike in Web 2, not be done by some corporate overlords who have some random, you know, maybe Puritan values like Disney and Apple who pretend that humans don't have sexuality, right? So there is no porn on the Apple App Store because in Apple's world, people don't have sex, I think. And um, then there is, um, you know, the, the, the value system of Elon Musk who seems to be sort of flirting with right-wing populist views and then there is the value system of the old Twitter staff who were maybe leaning too far on the left, but in every case, they were sort of an unchecked, you know, group of people doing sort of closed-door, behind-the-door decisions about censorship. And I think what, what you said so well is how in Web3, 
through ownership, this is going to be organized differently, where I think a DAO is really the solution um, uh, to say, okay, this is the network, we are the stakeholders, and we want that kind of stuff in our network, right? And I suppose that if, I mean, is Starkblock open source? Is the technology fully open source or at some point, um, right? Because At some point yeah. it will be fully. Now it's like yeah. 90% is still, you know, some secret sauce as we kind of progressively move towards decentralization. So, uh, but it, yeah, ultimately it will be so. Exactly right. So once you're open source, I mean, there will be probably the big dark block sort of network um, with the dominant use cases. But then if there is any fringe group of people who feel like they are being censored in this network, they can do a fork, right? They can run their own thing. And then if it's flat out illegal, it's a job for the authorities to prosecute them and put them behind bars, right? But I think this is a much more healthy way of dealing with plurality in society than the Web2 model, which really puts too much responsibility in the hands of some corporate overlords who just cannot possibly reflect the diversity of opinions uh, of their user base, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's 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 a hard job, you know. It's uh, So, yeah, the, I, I, that's where I'm optimistic that's where I see glass half full and kind of bring it full circle. I feel like, you know, we still need to figure out how DAOs should run actually, you know, but as an idea, I think it's brilliant. Like I feel like every football club, like I'm, I'm a football fan. I support Arsenal and like I, there was this turmoil a few, few, few years ago, like the Spotify owner was going to come in and buy it. I was like, oh, this, this should just be like, why is it the sports club? And I think this is a kind of, pretty German ideas is that the fans own the club yeah, yeah. and the DAO basically kind of governs it and you know that would probably be kind of chaotic uh, so I think how Gal DAOs actually run how that governance model kind of works is needs to be uh, figured out um, yeah, yeah. but as a, I think as a concept of governance the ownership in it you know those are the users they should own it you know, instead of some people in ivory towers who don't use it, they and they are somehow affecting everyone's experience. Um, doesn't make sense to me. Man, that was a perfect uh, uh, full circle that you just did. That makes that that makes me very happy. And also, you gave me this idea of DAOs buying football clubs. That yeah. is such a great idea, man. I wow, I'm blown away. This is so good. Why haven't we seen this yet? I feel like. Barcelona is to some extent uh, like that. It's kind of a fan-owned club, um, and then the the you get these uh, they do selections. You know they get they elect the president or something like that, who can then runs the show for a few years. And and I think that's I think that's a good model. Like I think the fan-owned model is is it makes sense to me as a as a yeah. sports fan of a club and as a use of a network. You know, cool. Dari, this was a wonderful conversation. I had so much fun and I learned a lot about Darkblock and you as a person. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your insight. Thank you, Florian.